0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. If you remember before Easter, we were working our way through Psalm 119 and got up to uh, verse 25, and that's where we'll pick up and we'll kind of work our way through um, the rest of the Psalm in the coming weeks. Uh, We won't be hitting every section. Sometimes we'll double up because they are uh, of the same theme, basically, I I guess the Psalm is of the one theme, and that is the Word of God. It is the authority, it is the uh, thing that we can rely upon, it is what teaches us, it is to what we are to conform our lives to, because in it is revealed to us the things of our Lord and, and how we are to live for His glory. So Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32, if you are able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask your hand upon us and your and Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to give us understanding of the word. Not so they're just words on the page, but they would come alive and they would pierce our hearts, Lord. Uh, your word is a sword uh, sharper uh, than any other. And Lord, we want to live in accordance with your word. So we ask that our eyes and hearts and minds would be open to you in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 25. Through thirty-two, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to Thy word. I've I've told of my ways, and Thou has answered me. Teach me Thy statutes. Make me understand the way of Thy precepts, so I will meditate on Thy wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to Thy word. Remove the false away from me, and graciously grant me Thy law. I've chosen the faithful way. I've placed Thine ordinance before me. I cleave to thy testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of thy commandments, for thou will enlarge my heart. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, it, it, it often we get this in, in some of the Psalms that go from from one section uh, in, in the beginning over the, the next 40 verses maybe, and how we see the psalmist go, oh, Lord, and I'm just, you just abandoned me and I'm here dying all by myself. And by the end of the psalm, he's like, and I praise you, Lord, because you're gracious and you're always there with me. Well, here we get it in just in less than 10 verses. My soul cleaves to the dust, verse 25, and then verse 31, I cleave to thy testimonies. See, a a transition has taken place. First, it's the dust, and and we'll get into the dust and what that means. And then it's like, but your word, I'm going to hang on to your word. I'm going to cleave to it. I'm going to cling to it and be faithful unto your word. So this passage, as as most of Psalm 119 does, teaches us a lot about the Christian life. It's not just an Old Testament psalm, uh, just an Old Testament psalm. I don't mean to minimize it in any fashion, but it's applicable to today. It teaches us, it guides us, it challenges us today, uh, and and especially in our Christian lives. And and as we can see, the psalmist has gotten himself in trouble again. We don't know what it is. We might see uh, there appears to be some lying going on, and he's, he's affected by that. But he begins with, my soul is clinging to the dust. It says cleave in our translation, but it's clinging to the dust. Charles Spurgeon says, Whatever was the cause of his complaint, it was no surface evil, but an affair of his inmost spirit. His soul cleaved to the dust. It was not a casual and accidental falling into the dust, but a continuous and powerful tendency to cleave to the dust. Then look at verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief, strengthen me according to your word. And then verse 29, put away the falsehood, remove it from me, graciously grant me your law. So the psalmist is burdened, he's sorrowful, he's grieving, and he's not sure if he can go on. Now, none of us have ever hit that place in our lives where we're grieving and we're sorrowful. And we just sit in our own pity and we go, Lord, I just can't, I can't go on. I, I, I just don't. There doesn't seem to be any other way. I seem to be so burdened and so put upon the sorrows of life or the weight of the 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 trial, whatever I'm in. I just just can't make it anymore. And that's where the psalmist is. He's surrounded by false ways. He's surrounded by sorrow. His soul is grieved, and he says, "I just pour myself out to you, my heavenly Father." Now it's interesting that that in the Christian life, so often we get into those situations and we think, "Lord, where have you gone?" You're far away from me. How? Why did you depart? I need you most right now, but it's not really the Lord who's departing. But we we get in and we get sorrowful, and and it seems our communion with the Lord has uh, suddenly been been damaged. It's been been torn apart, but it's really the Lord is there. He's He's always there. He's got us in the palm of His hand. It's we who, in our own sorrow and our own trial, tend to move away from the Lord and get introspective and. And and, in a bad way, we we begin to think, well, what can I do? How can I get out of this? Uh, Why why is he allowing this? There must be some... And then we begin to ask the right questions after a while. There must be some reason. What is it that I'm supposed to learn? How am I supposed to grow in this? Lord, show me your ways. Lord, I'm going to throw myself on you because it is in him only that the strength to survive something as terrible, as whatever the psalmist is facing, that he has to cling to the dust It is only the Lord who provides that strength there. So William Plummer, William Plummer, I've quoted him before. Uh, William Plummer was a Baptist lay preacher, a lawyer, uh, a politician from uh, a long time ago. And it's interesting, he was a Federalist in the Senate, and when he was governor, he ran on the Democratic-Republican Party. I'd like to see somebody run on a party like that today. Okay, what would be their stance? We seem so far apart. What would be their stance? Well, he said, according to this passage and, and the sorrow, whatever we do, whatever our state may be, let us deal candidly with God and declare to him our whole case. Now, what he's saying there is, Pour your heart out to the Lord. It's not as if the Lord doesn't understand, it's not as if the Lord doesn't hasn't heard about your struggles it's not as if he is not there in the midst of it with you but he says pour your heart unto the Lord deal candidly declare your whole case to him Lord my soul is clinging to the dust that's what the psalmist says I feel like I'm almost dead my soul is is melting away and he tells the Lord exactly what's going on in his own heart not because the Lord needs to be informed the Lord already knows the state of his soul but he needs to be open He needs to be honest with the Lord. He needs to declare to the Lord what it is, and it's also in the midst of that he's being honest to himself. Plummer goes on. He says, "'If we are sad, the Lord can cheer us. "'If we are in the dark, the Lord can give us light. "'If we have no strength, he can strengthen us. "'If our wants are many, he can supply them. "'If we are shut up and cannot come forth, he can enlarge us. "'Whatever is our case, let us state it all to the Lord.'" All to the Lord. Where do I go in my times of trouble? Who can help me? It is the Lord himself. So we find in our passage that there are three petitions. The the psalmist is saying three things that he wants. Uh, He's saying, give me strength, strengthen me in my sorrow, and enlarge my heart. Those are the three things that he's praying for. And then we'll see some resolutions afterwards that he says. So verse 25 He says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to thy word. The psalmist looks to the Lord, and whatever his situation is, it's very difficult, um, and and he cries out to the Lord. And if you've been there, you you know you're hopeless. Maybe it has been so terrible in your life that you've just wanted to say, Lord, take me now. I don't think I can go on. Take me now, Lord. I've lost hope. And if you're really at that point, then, then there's only one place to go for hope. There's only one place to go for care. There's only one place to go where you can be given life and given strength, and that is to the Lord. You come to the throne of grace. It, it, the Lord is not up there going, mm. You know, you weren't so good this week. I'm really not going to listen to you. I'm going to go on to somebody else. No, the Lord is there. Come to the throne of grace. And I, I get this picture in my mind that I don't know what the throne of grace looks like, but we know what a throne is. And here we have the Lord who, who is, he doesn't have a body like men. Uh, if you remember your children's catechism, uh, there he is, light, Um, shining glory and and he says come right here right to the very throne right to the very foot of the throne of grace and pour out your heart to me why because there you'll find care there you will find mercy there you will find the strength to go on and that's what the Lord uh, that's what the psalmist says I cling to the dust give me light according to your word according to your word Um, so he knows where to look Okay, he knows both the promises of the Lord and how the Lord fulfills those promises. The Lord makes promises to those who are his in his word. And this is the way that the Lord is. This is the character of the Lord. This is how he operates. This is the way he goes about working with his people and he makes these promises to us. And so the psalmist says, you made these promises. These promises are real. Therefore, those who love you and follow you and are called according to your purposes, Lord, fulfill your promises. Look at my estate. I'm clinging to the dust. Look at my estate. Now, when we says clinging to the dust, we see in the Old Testament that, that the dust is is kind of a euphemism for sorrow for uh, Sheol, the place of death, uh, place of mourning, humiliation. Uh, The point is, really, only God can bring life from the dust. Only God can bring you back if your soul is so troubled that you're clinging to the things of the dust. There it is that the Lord can save you. He brings us back from sin. Think of what the Lord does in our lives. Here you are, an enemy of God. You're you're alienated from the Lord. Your sin alienates you. He reaches out, saves you, draws you unto himself. He takes you from death unto life. That's miraculous. Do you think your, your situation, however terrible you may think it is, the Lord cannot act in that as well? Can he bring the psalmist back from his clinging to the dust? Of course he can. Of course he can. He says, Lord, give me life. You've raised me to new life in Christ. Surely you can bring me. Through this. You can see me through this. And the psalmist wants life, but he wants it from the source. The source. And that is according to thy word. And we see this again and again and again in this psalm. It's one of two times in our section. Verse 28 will be the other time when he says, according to thy word. He makes the promises to those who belong to him, he cares for us, and when we're in the dust, when our souls are so burdened, we have to go to the right place. We have to go to his word. We must dig into it. We must read it. We must, must love it. We must sing it. We must hold it dear to our hearts because it is in there, according to his word, that we will find life. John Calvin said, apart from God's word, God's power would not afford us any comfort at all. If God has made these promises to us, the likes of us, I mean, look at us. The sovereign, holy God has made promises to us, believers, those whom he has called. If it wasn't wasn't for his promise and his guarantee, the words in Scripture would mean little to us. But it is the character of God that backs these things up, that makes them sure. Give me life. And we seek that life according to the promises of his word. So therefore we can expect action from the Lord. He made the promise. It's not like I'm going and say, "Lord, I think you're this way." No, the Lord says, "This is what I promise. This is the way that I am." We can expect him to fulfill those things. So let's look at the second desire here, verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul, another translation, my soul melts away because of grief. The Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, says there's a purpose for this melting. This melting or heaviness has not wrought its work until it has bowed us before the throne of grace with the pleading cry of faith Strengthen me. There's a purpose in this heaviness, there's a purpose in this melting away of our soul. Now, Frankly, I, I couldn't find a good de- definition for what does it mean to have your soul melt away. Um, you, you know, you think of the Wicked Witch in Wizard of Oz. Is that it? No, that's, that's not it. What does it mean that my soul melts away? The only thing I could come up with was if you sat in the corner and, and you just cried. And, and, and you cried and you cried. And, and you were just overcome with grief to such a point that you couldn't do anything else. My soul is melting away before me. Dissolving in sorrow is how it says in other places in Scripture. Let's turn back to First Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19. And this whole section in in, in 1 Kings is a great section because you have Elijah overcoming the prophets of Baal. And that's earlier than chapter 19. Uh, And it's a great victory for the Lord. And and let me set the stage while you're going there. You remember the the, the situation. You have uh, um, Jezebel, the evil queen. And you have the prophets of Baal. And you have Elijah, and Elijah stands alone against all the prophets of Baal, and he says, well, we're going to have a showdown, and I'm going to paraphrase for you. You're going to have a showdown. You're going to build your altar, and I'm going to build my altar, and you're going to call upon Baal and have him send down fire and consume it, and then when you're done, I'll call upon the Lord, and he'll send fire down and consume this altar. And so the prophets of Baal build up their altar, they sacrifice an animal, and they start to dance around and call upon Baal, and there's no action, and they go all morning, and they go all afternoon, and they start to cut themselves, and they're dancing, and and Elijah's over there kind of taunting them, you know, uh, go louder, he's hard of hearing, Baal's hard of hearing, maybe he's gone aside, you know, that's kind of King James for using the necessary room, Uh, I didn't know God's had to do that, okay, Uh, but nothing happens. And they, by, oh, by the end of the day, they've torn down uh, Elijah's altar that he built up, so he rebuilds it. You know, there's a trench around it. He says, douse it with water, douse it with water again, douse it with water again. And he says, Lord, show them who's, uh, paraphrasing again, show them who's the real God. And the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal are killed. Elijah has to run away because Jezebel says, if you're not dead this time tomorrow... Well, I, I don't know. He says, you're going to be dead this time tomorrow. That's what she says. You're going to be dead this time tomorrow. And that's what brings us to chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, now, now understand, Elijah is thinking that because of this great action, there is going to be this great revival in the land. And Jezreel is is the capital, and he's gone on his way to Jezreel to to be part of this revival. So um, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not take your life uh, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. This is the man who just hours ago was part of a great display of God's power and victory over the prophets of Baal, and now he's over in the corner saying, Lord, just take my life, let me die. And he lay down and slept, much like, much like I, I, I think of the image of the um, uh, of Jesus in the garden, and, and they cried themselves to sleep. They were so sorrowful, so in despair that they laid down and cried themselves to sleep. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said, "Arise and eat." Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and then he laid down again, because he was exhausted and overcome. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here you have at his lowest point in his life you, you can imagine he just left the highest point of his life probably and now you have the lowest point and he doesn't even have the strength to do anything and the lord comes to him wakes him up provides the food for him and he's so tired and so wiped out and so perhaps melting away in his sorrow that he goes right back to sleep and the lord lets him sleep for a while and then he comes to him again wakes him up Feeds him again with the meal that the Lord has provided for him. Remember, Elijah left his servant a day's back. He had nothing with him, no provisions, nobody even to help him. But the Lord comes and meets him and cares for him, lets him sleep, wakes him up, feeds him food from the Lord. And how long did that food sustain him? Forty days. He rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. Forty days. Forty days. And 40 nights. There we are. We sit in our sorrow and think, Lord, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't sustain it. I can't go forward. And the Lord says, I'm going to come. And I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to sustain you. Will he come and wake you up with a meal that's already prepared like he did for Elijah? Spiritually, the meal is here. The meal is here right in his word. It is a feast. It is sweeter than honey from the comb. Sweeter than honey from the comb. We don't need an angel to come and feed us today. We have the word right here before us. It is a feast upon us. And you think, oh, well Ran, you know, 1 Kings was written long time ago, long time ago. Yes, it was. There is an objective truth and context here for Elijah in his life. This is what happened. This is what the Lord did. But there is this application that we make in our lives today. There's an objective truth. Here's the meaning. Here's why it was written. But the application is also for us today. How can you apply the words of Elijah and his situation in your own? Is the Lord faithful to care for us? Yes. What does he provide us for to feed us with? It is his word. The psalmist says what? According to thy word. That is what we are going to feast on. According to thy word. Back to Psalm 119. It appears the reason that his soul is weeping, uh, it's according to um, someone who is lying either about him or uh, making false accusations uh, against the prophet. Verse 29, remove the false way from me, graciously grant me thy law. Proverbs 14 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is death. There are ways that view that men view are the right ways, and often they are the false ways. They are the false ways. Um, so the psalmist says, Remove the false ways or the ways of lying from me. And it was probably the lying of his enemies uh, that has uh, so oppressed him and, and so put upon him uh, Mark Twain said, what? A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its shoes on. And how fast lies go forward? Man, they go forward fast. And the psalmist is wrestling with that. And he says, remove them from me. Graciously grant me thy law, which would be another word for thy word. Thy word. Okay, verse third, the last one, number three. Verse 32. I shall run the way of thy commandments. Now will enlarge my heart. He's asking for something more than intellectual knowledge here. Uh, He's got intellectual knowledge. That's why he's going to the Lord. He understands the Lord's character, the Lord's promises. This is what he has for him. Now he says uh, in verse 32, Enlarge my heart. He's acknowledging that he can't do anything in his own effort. He's got to rely upon the Lord to come and to care for him. And think of... um, when we became members, uh, when you became a member of this congregation, part of the, the, um, the questions was that you will promise to endeavor to live as becomes followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in humble reliance upon your own efforts. No, I no, me, because, because that, that's no good. In humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, that's what we rely upon. That's when we try to live out the Christian life. You can't say, oh, I can do it all myself. No, you cannot do it all yourself. It is when you are weak that when you're made strong. Because then you can rely upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when we ask God to enlarge my heart. That I might know more and more and more about the grace of our Heavenly Father. About the grace that is provided for me through the one he has promised, the Holy Spirit. Again, William Plummer. If we are to make any good speed in the Christian life, it is by receiving strength from above. If the Lord appears and enlarges our hearts, we will have strength for every duty and delight in every sacrifice. We will never begin to act for God until he begins to work in us all his holy will and the work of faith with power. All of our fruit comes from his work in us. Enlarge my heart, Lord. Enlarge my heart and then just the three resolutions that he makes here at the end verse 30 31 and 32 these are resolutions stated and and wrestled with by a believer by someone who has actually been called and believes according to the things of the Lord verse 30 I have chosen verse 31 I cleave and verse 32 I shall run so I have chosen. Now here we're reminded of God's work and uh, our response to him. So it, it's, it's here. The believer understands, right? Here are two ways. I can live in obedience or I can live in disobedience. Which one do I want? Some days I like obedience and some days I like disobedience. Because disobedience seems to be more fun. It seems to be easier sometimes. But that's not the way that the Lord wants me to live. There are two ways here. Think of of Moses. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose that. He was already called by God. This is what he's going to do. He chose to associate himself with the things of the Lord, not the pleasures of the world. Our response to God's grace requires us to choose each day. I mean, how often do you face decisions? Uh, do I want to do what God calls me to do? Or do I want to do what I like? Hmm. This is the way of truth. This is the way of peace. It may not be the easiest way, but it's the way the Lord calls us to. Over here is Randy's way, and Randy's way might be easy today. It might seem fun today, but it's a temporary way, and it's a way that leads to death. We want the way that leads to life. Secondly, I will cling. I'm going to cling to your testimonies, Lord. In the same way his soul clings to the dust, now its soul clings to the testimonies of the Lord. It's the same image that we use in a marriage ceremony. And a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. That's what we're talking about. Fidelity, constancy, all of those things... I'm going to cling to your word and your testimonies. We, we look at the, the New Testament and, and Acts chapter 11. Um, they hear about these converts who come in in Antioch and they send Barnabas up to have a look at them. And Barnabas says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord and steadfast in purpose. That's what we are called to be. Faithful in the Lord and steadfast in purpose. Purpose is to his purpose. We're going to cling to the Lord. We're going to cling and be faithful unto the Lord. He's chosen to walk in the way of the Lord, not in the way of fleeting pleasures of the world. And this is a response to God's grace. And then last one. I'm going to run. Going to run. Paul's an athlete, or at least he'd like to be. He uses a lot of athletic imagery. In Philippians 3, he says, Not that I've already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining on to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I will run. You know, if you've ever run... You don't run up to the finish line. You run through the finish line, okay? You run past that. That is Paul's image. There is the goal. What did Paul have in this life? He says, I, I run not to achieve. Uh, I, I, uh, he's talking about uh, what they got in the, the, the Corinthian games. Um, when you won, you got basically some celery that was put on your head as a crown, Okay? No gold medal, just some celery. And he says, I don't run as if for an earthly prize. I run for a heavenly prize, one that is stored up for me, made kept safe by the Lord. So he says, I run in the way of God. I run pressing on towards the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm clinging to his word, not to the fleeting pleasures of the world. I'm running in a way of God's commandments. My goal is heaven. My goal is his glory. That's the response and the resolution of the believer to God's grace. What should we cry out for whenever we're put upon, whenever we are tried, whenever we're clinging to the dust? Lord, I'm going to cry out for you. I'm going to cry out for your word, and then I'm going to do these things. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to run the upward call of Christ because that is what you put before me, and I'm going to choose to obey. So let's pray. Lord, uh, the word is rich here, and, and it is before us. Um, we all will face times of trial and be put upon. Maybe it will be a result of those lying about us. Maybe it will be a result of our own errors and our own mistakes. But you are there with us no matter what. You are there caring for us. But so often it's our own face that, that turns away from you, and we seek answers that are quick and answers that might be easier or satisfy our own souls or the the fleeting pleasures of the world but you are faithful when the psalmist says answer me according to your word it it's your word it's your character it's the promises that you make to those whom you call those whom you reach out to and grab a hold of and never let go so heavenly Father we come to you today and 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 there might be some here whose hearts are just breaking over some issue. Might be a family issue, might be something at work, might be some own personal struggle that they're having within their souls. Lord that they would go to the throne of grace with those things and cling to your word. Cling to your promises. Cling to your character for you are faithful. And Lord that we might see how you call us to live, how you care for us, that, that our lives might flow from the grace that you provide us, both in Jesus Christ and in the grace that sustains us in the work of the Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.